Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everyone, welcome back after uh, a bit of a Oh, what do you call it? A break, a sabbatical. I don't know what what we would call it. Uh, really, on my part, and we're actually going to have another one of these <laughs> upcoming because I'm doing a lot of traveling covering the Utah State men's basketball teams. So we're going to have this record in the middle of the week, and then our next one will probably be maybe next Tuesday or Wednesday. Depends on whether or not the Aggies win or not. Um, but Enough of that. Let's. We're not here to talk about Utah State men's basketball. We're here to talk about the Utah Jazz. And Trey, I know you've been around. I haven't been able to really keep up with the Utah Jazz again for all the all the other stuff I've been doing. So, what have your thoughts been on the Utah Jazz these last four or five games or so? Oh, I it, they bleed together. Um, but like after we recorded, <laughs> I mean, we were up against New Orleans and. I thought for sure we were going to win that game. We blew the lead. But uh, in traditional jazz fashion, we kind of got, um, not complacent, but I guess comfortable in some of that stretch there. I mean, we lost to Memphis again. Like, my goodness. Um, But regardless, you know, they've had their few wake-up calls, and especially um, this four-game win streak. The jazz just seem like they've gotten their habits back together. And it's really promising. Yeah, and I think when you look at it, I mean, obviously the losses to New Orleans and Memphis, definitely never good. But then during this win streak, uh, not the most impressive opponents, but they're not necessarily, you know, the worst of the NBA. Well, the Phoenix Suns kind of are. Uh, although they were kind of surging, I think, when the Jazz mm-hmm. faced them, if I remember correctly. Uh, Devin Booker was having a, a crazy stretch. Averaging, I think, close to 30 points a game for, you know, an eight or so game stretch. Then the Timberwolves aren't really slouches. I think the Timberwolves are still technically in playoff contention. Yeah, barely. I mean, they're like eight games out or nine games out of the playoffs, but uh, they're one of three teams out of the playoffs that haven't been eliminated yet. And then Brooklyn and Washington, yes, they're in the Eastern Conference and neither are super impressive, but I think they're both near or around the playoffs. Um, I see. let's see. Well, where's the standings at? Yeah. Um, Brooklyn's in the playoffs. The Wizards are not. Um, you know, neither are, you know, pushovers. And so it's really nice to see the Jazz, like you said, get into some of their habits, play their good defense, play their efficient offense, get really good stuff out of Rudy Gobert, Dante Exum, or not Dante, oh, sheesh. Donovan Mitchell. We'll get to Dante Exum later. Uh, Donovan Mitchell played really well over this stretch and Rudy Gobert actually got the player of the week award for this last week for his performances where the Jazz went three and one against the the Thunder Suns um, Timberwolves and Nets so like just absolutely really good job by Rudy Gobert I mean, it was, what, 16.5 points, 15.5 rebounds, almost 2.5 blocks over a four-game stretch. Mm. Like, that's that's prime Rudy Gobert right there. Like, I mean, 
Like, how much does he really impact the Jazz, do you think, in terms of, like, when he's playing well on offense, how much do you think that really helps the Jazz, you know, he's playing really well on both sides of the ball like he has these last few games? Enormously. You, you got your, I guess, your center who's not known for his offense um, hurting you. So at that point, now you need to start trying to stop him, and then that in turn frees up everybody else. Because now all of a sudden he becomes a focal point of stopping him on defense. He's not going to wow you um, with like post-up moves by any stretch, but the Jazz are just so good at getting a lane for him to use, and he's so good at setting that screen that he all he has to do is cut to the basket, and if that lane is open for him, he's got the ball waiting for him at the top of the rim. Yeah, and I think what it really does is obviously it helps him get get points, and if you can have an avenue for getting points, you know, even if it is through a guy like Rudy Gobert who's not going to be an isolation scorer. But, I mean, also when you watch Joe Ingles run the pick and roll, and I think we talked about this in our last podcast, there is no earthly reason why Joe Ingles should be able to get to the rim and finish on you with an open layup. Like, no reason whatsoever. It should not happen. But he does it like three or four times mm-hmm. a game. And it's because of guys like Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors that have that gravity, and that's, I think, one of the biggest things that Rudy Gobert creates is gravity. When Joe Ingles is going to the rim, you think, is he going to pass? Like, you see when he runs the pick and roll, he run, he does the same move each time. He does that little fake with the ball, and then he lays it up, or he actually does lob it up. And it's, So it's, you know, Rudy Gobert's creating offense without necessarily creating offense, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Without the ball in his hand, yeah. No, I get you. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, so many people say, well, Rudy Gobert's not good on offense. It's like, well, by a traditional sense of the word, no. Again, he's not a back-to-the-basket, he's not a shooter or anything, but you look at any advanced statistic or any, you know, on-off type thing, and Rudy Gobert comes out enormously positive on the offensive end of the court, and there's reasons for that. And it's not like he's playing with offensive juggernauts. I mean, his best offensive player on the court is second-year Donovan Mitchell, who, yes, is obviously good, but Donovan Mitchell's not James Harden or Steph Curry or anything like that. Nobody's making him look good. He's out there carving out you know, good plays by himself, but generally by himself. Yeah, but I mean, or at least good efficient offense. For sure, and I mean that's what the whole team is predicated on—is just efficient offense. The Jazz are, I think, still number one in um, the quality of shots they get. Like it's it's stupid. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's basically what you have to have with Jazz right now. And I mean, kind of imagine this team. You, even you add in a couple other offensive weapons beside Rudy Gobert and Derek and uh, Donovan Mitchell, and even Derek Favors. Who uh, I guess shout out to Derek Favors. He's been playing super well these uh, past ten games or so. He went out against uh, I think it was against Washington. He went out. Or maybe it was Brooklyn. I can't remember which one. He went out because of some hamstring tightness. Played like you know ten minutes or so. Mm. Um. But he's been averaging like 15 points, 9 rebounds. And when you're getting good production out of Derek Favors, that's just, it's icing on the cake, it's gravy on the potatoes, whatever you want to call it. You know, because like normally we've only seen like this superb version of Derek Favors when Rudy Gobert is out for some reason, whether it be injuries, you know, a couple of years ago or last year. 
this year we've seen it when Rudy Gobert's been ejected or in foul trouble or whatever. But Derek Favors is stepping up on his own right now, and he's saying, look, I'm going to contribute. He's been a good rim protector. He's actually, I was looking at some rim protection stats a while back, and Derek Favors is doing really well as a rim protector. Better than Rudy Gobert in some areas, at least the last time I checked, which was like two weeks ago. Hmm. But that, yeah, then he's scoring points. There's, there's a lot of different things that Derek Favors is doing well right now. Yeah, and I think it was Quinn Snyder. Um, I can't remember where I read it. It might have been Deseret News or something like that. But uh, he was saying, you know, Derek is just kind of, you know, he's he's figured out, he's he's figuring out different ways that he can come help the team and impact the game. I mean, it it speaks for itself. I mean, not to call him the garbage man, but that's kind of what he has been doing. I mean, he's been getting more offensive rebounds than I think even Rudy has been able to do. Um, he is a absolute beast on the on the inside. I mean, his body is just so big. He's no he learned how to utilize that body a lot more, and he just bangs you. He can't. Yeah, uh, he's just a force. When he gets going, you're done. Yeah, it's something where I think he's really kind of re-found himself or relearned his identity because he came into the league as a true power forward. That was who he was his first like six seasons or so or uh, however many he's played i think he's only see where's he at oh wow he's like nine seasons Jeez, he's been in the league forever (laughs) so his first uh eight seasons basically you know up until he was 25 he was playing power forward now he's been having to play center you know technically he starts at power forward and we've discussed whether or not that's a good thing but a lot of his damage right now is being done with him kind of, again, relearning that position at center and then dominating when he gets there. You know, you mentioned using his body and his strength. He's able to dominate a lot of players down low, you know, with his size and in some cases take advantage of being maybe a little quicker. I don't know if he still is quicker than some of the centers in this league, but he's just doing a really good job in relearning his role, which he's had to do, you know, over the last two seasons. And maybe that's among other reasons why we saw a bit of a dip because he had injuries and stuff. But now he's reemerged as a really good player, a really good post player, and perpetually underrated uh, until the next time he has a 20 and 15 game. Like he's had almost a couple of those recently. Yeah, what was it? Like the Milwaukee game, he was close to that, or he was at that. I can't remember. Yeah, he's, he's had a few games. I mean, it's looking at his game log. You know, again, he had, you know... Again, they're not super, you know, jump off the, the page stats. But yeah, Milwaukee had 23-18 and 18 back uh, on, like, March 2nd. He had 25 points against the Pelicans. Uh, the one where we beat the Pelicans by 10 points. And then he had 17-11 and 11 against Minnesota. 13-12 and 12 against Brooklyn. All the while, he's been getting two blocks or even three in just about every game. Uh, again, except for that Washington one. Let's see. Yeah, he only played 12 minutes in that game. Although he still got four points, four rebounds. And a block. He's <laughs> producing no matter how much time he gets, man. What game was it? He got like seven assists. Seven assists? Yeah, it was uh, Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, he had 18.7 rebounds and just randomly seven assists, which I think is uh, a career high. Might be. 
I don't I don't know, but I mean, yeah, I, you never see you, you never see Favors really pass it, but he's always been a willing passer for sure. Yeah, he's really gotten better. I know that was one of the things I think that was on his like draft board all back in 2010 was not a very good passer out of the post, but you know, 9 years later, it's something that he's at least decent at for a big man, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's never going to be uh, John Stockton out there whipping passes around the court. <laughs> He's not a Jokic. Yeah, just imagine. Just had a uh, mental picture of Derek Favors doing one of those like Magic Johnson, like going down the court and just zinging no look passes over <laughs> the corner. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we'll ever see that. <laughs> like a Donovan Mitchell baseball pass, like. Just... <laughs> be the most awkward looking that thing exa- that we would ever see. <laughs> I don't know if Derek Favors played baseball or not. Uh, I imagine, I don't know if it would be hard, easy for a guy who was probably 6'8", 6'9", in high school to play baseball. If he was that height, but... Yeah, I mean, high school he would have been somewhere like, by like junior, senior, year, he would have been like 6'7", 6'8", at least. You're usually getting close to done growing by those years, at least for mm-hmm. your guy. You never know. Some people go through crazy growth spurts. All right. So we're, we're going to move on to a, a less exciting topic. Now, this is mostly blown over, uh, but we, we kind of missed the window a little bit be, because of me. Um, but we did want to talk about it because there's a few things I think both of us have to say, and that was the whole Russell Westbrook thing and the uh, – uh, should call it a debacle because that was just – just insane. If you've been living under a rock, uh, Russell Westbrook got in, a, got in a row with a fan in the stands who supposedly said something racist to Russell Westbrook. We don't really know what he said. There's conflicting reports. But evidence seems to suggest that said something he shouldn't have. And then Russell Westbrook, in response, you know, he ended up saying he would F up the dude and his wife. Uh, just absolutely ugly by all accounts. On both ends. So, I mean, Trey, like, I, I had to deal with this almost back-to-back because there was a bunch of people saying Utah State or Utah fans were racist, and I was dealing with this on the eve of Utah State fans being accused of being racist because of stuff that happened after one of their games. Like, but what did you make of the whole situation? Well, it's not a, I mean, it's not a good situation, that's for sure. Um, I still, like... I mean, the Jazz acted quickly. They investigated the whole matter very quickly. I don't know how they got it done so quickly. I mean, obviously, you could just look up, you know, who the ticket holder was in that seat and whoever was around him. But, um, yeah, I mean, we don't really know what the guy said other than what we've heard from Russell Westbrook um, publicly, which, you know, he backs himself up, I mean, and uh, who was it, Patrick Patterson, I guess, backed up his claim as well, which is fine, and I like that, you know, the players were on his side of things, and kind of how whatever was said was not something that was okay, and then um, there was all the the solidarity t-shirts, and then Gail Miller um, coming forward, and just kind of being like, you know, what did, what did she say, I'm gonna have to look up the quote, but it's just a stupid situation to begin with, and you know we as fans, I am, I I mean I can say that I've said some things not 
racially charged at a basketball game, either watching it or at the game. But I've said some things that, you know, probably shouldn't be said. But when your emotions get the best of you, you, you kind of say some things that you end up regretting or, you know, people just don't say anything about it. Um, and I think that's what kills me the most is that nobody around him, if there was something said that was racially charged or was directed at him as a derogatory statement, why didn't anybody say anything? And why did the guy only get a warning card the one time, and then at the end of the game, he gets a lifetime ban? I think the lifetime ban was just one of those drop the hammer on him because it it was a bit of a PR move, I think, in giving him a ban. Or maybe they did find out he said something. Yeah, I'm kind of on this... uh, you know, I, I think that if he had said something racist, I would want to believe the fans around him would have been like, hey, that's not right. okay. I don't, I don't know if they would have, like, reported him or anything because, you know, fans don't typically report their fellow fans in that way. At least that's just the ex- that's what I would think. But the thing is that, you know, Utah fans have been kind of painted into this racist corner, you know, into this corner as being racist, partly because we're mostly white and mostly Mormon. Uh and, you know, I, w- I want to believe that that's not true. Just in my experience, I've been to I've been to stadiums in basically every major stadium in Utah and attended a game. I think the only one I may not have been to is the University of Utah's basketball stadium. Yeah, it's the only place I've not attended a basketball game at. And maybe I'm just naive, but I've never heard anything racist. I've heard plenty of things that come close to crossing lines. Like, I'll, I'll admit here and now, fans across Utah, across all fan bases, are a-holes to opposing players in some cases. I mean, you go to Utah State and they say tons of stuff. It, it doesn't always cross the line, and most of the time if it does, it's like barely. But it's the kind of stuff that you're going to hear from fans, but it's not racist, and that's the biggest thing. And if there is racist thing, I definitely think it should be taken care of. Because if that's something that I'm just missing then yeah, something does need to be done about it. Yeah, absolutely. If someone if someone says if I'm at if I'm at a jazz game and someone's spitting off some racist comments to any kind of player, I don't care what sporting event it is, I'm gonna tell that guy one to shut up and if he doesn't stop, I'm gonna do something about it. I obviously like yeah. I have not the build where I can threaten anybody. So <laughs> my natural recourse is to go find someone that can. But yeah, I just there's no place for that, and if it was said or not, I think I don't know if the jury's still out on it, but it is what it is. Um, but this is that perfect. This is that prime example of one person kind of ruining it for everybody else. You know what I mean? Like now everything is like, yeah. and it's not just it's not just at the Vivint Smart Home anymore. The NBA executives are now getting in on this, and they are kind of rewriting or um, rehashing the code of the fan code of conduct. Which is great in some respects, but now, I mean, I just hope that the it doesn't suck the fun out of being a fan because there still needs to be that banter. There's still, you know, you still need to heckle the other team. And I like what Gail said. She's like, you know, the, the other team is not our enemy. They are our competition. And that's always what it should yeah. be. And I'll always say like, oh, you, you know, if someone airballs it, I'd be like, oh, you missed, you know missed that one real good didn't you bud you know it's you have fun with it don't be a dick about it yeah see that's the thing is where you can 
you know, heckle the opposing players. Like, I, I love it. You know, there was one, uh, I, I draw back to Utah State because they've got a really fun student section, but there's just one player on uh, another team. We played him a couple times, and he airballed, like, three shots and also had a bunch of turnovers and some fouls, and the fans were just going at him. You know, calling, they were chanting MVP when he was at the free throw line, and he'd miss a couple of free throws. It was the kind of... I don't know if I want to say it was friendly banter, but it's the kind that you can definitely live with. But it definitely shouldn't cross a personal line. It doesn't even have to get to the racism. It's just don't get personal with it. You know, heckle him, say, yeah, you missed that shot real good, or, oh, yeah, Butterfingers, you dropped that pass you really shouldn't have, or, you know, you got rejected by the rim. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It's stuff that's going to happen. And then the players, when they, you know, nail a dagger three-pointer, they can stare that fan down as they go to the under you know, the other end of the court. That's part of what makes it fun. I definitely don't want the NBA to try and go the NFL route where any celebration feels like it's going to get penalized or fined. But I think there definitely needs to be a line. And I think now, you know, we're starting to realize, you know, kind of in the era of social media that we're beginning to cross some lines. So let's... Let's reel it back a little bit, make sure that this is fun and not emotionally damaging for players and fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would love to go back to, you know, I want to keep going to jazz games. I don't want more people to ruin it for me. Yeah, because it's it's those one or two fans that make an entire fan base look stupid. And it looks like for now the jazz have one of them, or at least they did, (laughs) until they banned him. Well, they actually banned another guy um, from, like, last year's playoffs. Which might be scarier than finding the guy right after the game. They found a guy from a year ago. Right. Well, the video, all he says is, boy. And I'm sorry, but if if that's going to be offensive and warrant a ban, I, I don't get that one, to be quite honest. I just think that, I mean, in all... The, the whatever happened on the two Mondays ago or however long ago that is, aside from that, I still think Russell Westbrook is a little spineless, to be honest with you. If if he's pulling the yeah. security guy to the side because someone called him boy, like, come on, man. You you bark so yes, much. Yeah. Come on. Yes, yeah, I know some people have said that's racist. Like, there was the comment, I think Eric Whittier put it out, and there were people saying, like, yeah, that is racist. I'm like... It's like, well, then I need to apologize to about a half dozen people because I've called them that <laughs> yeah. before in a not nice tone. And you know, they're probably all white anyway because I live in Utah. But, you know, I it probably is ignorance on the part of some Utah fans because we're not, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that one was racist. It might have just been ignorance. But, yeah, that's, I don't, I don't really know what to say. Because if, if it is a racial term across the United States, then that's definitely news to mm. me. But if it's not, then that is just super thin-skinned. It's like, yeah, okay, you got called boy. And it happened to Blake Griffin earlier, and he about got in a row with a Timberwolves fan. I think it was. So, I don't know. Some, some NBA players like Westbrook and I think Blake Griffin, too, a little bit thin-skinned, a little bit whiny, but that doesn't doesn't necessarily give fans a pass to say, uh, you know, cross the line when talking to them. Yeah, for sure, and, and then it also stems not just to sporting events. Like some people I've seen, 
they buy you know they buy these tickets to these events and then they just kind of feel like they can do whatever the hell they want that's not how it works you paid for the price of admission that doesn't mean that you own the place yeah definitely i don't i don't like that line of thought where it's like i paid the ticket i exactly. can do what i want it's like yeah yeah like you said you you paid to get in now you have to obey the rules of the establishment yeah i mean it's like the same thing like with golf there's the you know there's the golf uh there's the ethics in golf that it's involved like if you're taking too long to 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 tee up a shot or whatever and you're going too slow and the group's caught up to you you let them go uh but then there's also those people that again kind of ruin it for everybody that just either are drinking way too much and they're like driving the golf cart around tipping it over someone's falling out you know you name it um, is it, you just kind of conduct yourself, you know, just don't, don't be douches. You must have been some interesting golf course. I've never seen anybody tip over the cart. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking of the movie Jackass or something. <laughs> oh, I've, I've been behind groups that are drinking. Um, and they've been some fun ones. So maybe, but usually they end up letting you play through if their friends right. are drunk. So, <laughs> yeah, I've I've played a lot of golf in my time, but it's also in Utah, so the amount of people who drink is a little lower. Yeah, but not but not entirely. I've seen, I think the first time I saw somebody smoke a cigar in front of me was while playing golf. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, right? No, no absolutely yeah. nothing. You're you're out there to relax. Golf is a relaxing sport, so do what you want to relax. Be it drink, smoke, or scream at the ball as it goes <laughs> the wrong way. Uh, whatever. <laughs> That's the third one's usually mine. <laughs> I think the last four or five times I've sworn is while playing golf. Oh. And I don't swear very often. That's supposed to be a relaxing sport, you said. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed. To, it's supposed to be, but not necessarily. I play sports to relax, and I get. Uh, golf is probably the one I get the most frustrated. Huh. In. I probably relax more in basketball because it's like, well, I already know I suck at basketball. So. <laughs> you've, you've accepted it. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't quite accepted that I suck at golf because I always think I'm trying to get better. Because mm. it's like the one sport that like with basketball and soccer and all that, it's like, you know what? My prime years are past me. I can live with that. Or, well, I, I'm still kind of in them, but I'm overweight. So the better in shape years are past mm. me. And, like, all the high school and all that. Like, I'm never getting on any teams in those. But golf is a sport that I can play till I'm almost dead. Mm, yeah. And my grandpa is still playing golf, and I think he turned 80 or something around there. But I'm not getting any better at golf. So it's like I should be getting better at this sport. <laughs> but anyway, tangents about golf aside. Now I've gone on a travel tangent and a golf tangent. Uh, let's dive further into the field of negativity and let's revisit something i accidentally teased earlier and that is dante exum and can can we end this now like (laughs) i don't know if i want to talk about this i was so crushed the other day when i found out that dante exum left the game what muscle did he tear what was it again something in his knee um it was it was like it was like it was like partially torn. Partially torn patellar tendon, I believe. Is that in the knee or is that in That's the, in the knee. calf or shin somewhere? It's in yeah. the knee? Yeah, so I mean, he's missing... Oh, no, wait, no, that's his bone bruise from his ankle sprain. 
That's old news. Try just Googling it. Yeah, let's see. See, I don't know if they've come out with a timetable yet for him. Or did they say it was season ending? They haven't said it's season ending. They just said indefinitely. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like a season ending. For me, I'm just I'm giving up on Dante X from just the rest of the season, and honestly, I may have just given up on him. I, I think that was the straw or the you know, tree branch that broke the camel's back. It's more like a tree trunk. Because, yeah, because I just feel more and more frustrated every time Dante X misses an entire month for an injury. And I get it. Some of them are freak accidents. He tore his ACL in the middle of a game. That happens. Somebody landed on him, and he missed it basically a whole year with a separated shoulder, whatever exactly it was. Now he's had, I think, two separate injuries this year. Or was there a three? Because he had the sprained ankle, now this. I feel like there was something else. He might have had a hammy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I forget. But it's just more and more and more. The guy feels like he's never going to play more than 50 games in a season. Outside of, what, that one year? I think his either his first or second year where he was somehow healthy the whole time. Yeah, he played 82 games his rookie year. He played 66 the year after tearing his ACL. Played 14 last year plus the playoffs. And has played 42 this year. He's probably going to end up playing half the games. So, as much as I have absolutely loved the flashes that we've seen from him, the tantalizing potential, the fact that he's only 23, same age, I believe, as Donovan Mitchell, maybe a year older. I'm just... I feel like I'm kind of done. Yeah, I, I mean... At this point, like, I, I still feel for him because at the end of the day, you don't want to see um, a player, especially on the team you follow, go down with injury for an extended amount of time. It's never fun, but at the same time... Dante's never had a healthy season. He just never has. He's the I think the most he's played what like two months, maybe three tops. Yeah, since his rookie year, he's not done anything really. Yeah, and it's always been it's always been something or a series of injuries. Something. Yeah, and like the the fact that we keep getting like these flashes of of the player he can be and. You know, we always praise his defense and how good he is. It, you know, I mean, he's going to be instrumental if we can have him in the playoffs, if we play Houston in the playoffs, at stopping James Harden. But besides that, we've only seen flashes of the things he's able to do offensively. And I think at this point, I, I, I was trying to look it up while we were kind of introducing this um, portion of it, but... I wish I could find it, but someone titled it like, you know, it's it's time for the jazz. Is it time for the jazz to move on without Dante? And I kind of am, you know, at this point, gotta cut your losses at some point. You know, like you're paying him. I don't know. I can't think of it off the top of my head. You're paying him X amount of money for him to basically just um, use up all of your insurance policies. <laughs> like, it's just it's yeah. bad. Yeah, so they're, they're paying him 9.6 per year until 20, the 2020 and 2021 season. Now, that was a mouthful to say. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I kind of am on that where, I mean, yeah, I mean, 9.6 isn't a huge amount of money, but yeah, for a guy who won't stay on the court, it is extremely frustrating. And even when he is healthy, Quinn Snyder's not using him. So often he gets out there, has the spurt like for four minutes or three minutes, maybe he commits a turnover, misses a shot, and suddenly he's out of the game. He has a really short leash. Mm. And it's like, okay, if you can't use him right, you're paying him more money than you know, he's worth, to you guys at least. Maybe he's worth more to another team. And if he's constantly injured, then it's like, well, yeah, maybe you should move on. It's like, for as much as I love Dante Exum, I think both of us you know, like what Dante Exum can bring if he were to actually develop. But he's not developing Utah, one, because he's not getting enough minutes, be it, you know, whether or not Quinn Snyder just doesn't like him, but he's also sitting behind an NBA starting point guard in Ricky Rubio. And it's like, okay, if he's not going to have minutes to develop and you don't plan on developing him, let's just move on. Let's spend that $9.6 million on somebody else. Maybe a veteran backup point guard. Yeah. Or, a, you know, whoever. Whoever you want to spend that nine point six million on, or whatever it is. Yeah, and I can't, I can't, I can't put the blame on uh, the training staff or the medical staff because they're one of the best in the in the in the industry. I mean, I don't know. We keep we keep getting these hamstring injuries. Do we need a new hamstring doctor? <laughs> something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, is it is it something that he's doing where he's just kind of not taking care of himself outside of training and practice? I don't, I don't know. I mean, when you rehabilitate um, a sprained ankle, obviously your focus is on the ankle, so you can't really pay attention to the other things. But I don't really know. I, 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 I can't even pretend to have an answer to this because at the end of the day, I want to see him succeed. I want to see him succeed here. But oh my gosh, it's just, it's almost, it's almost a waste of time and money at this point. Yeah, and I would like to see, you know, at this point, let's let's get Dante Exum on another team. It's kind of like what I'd say with Derek Favors. Like, if he's going to grow, it's going to have to be somewhere else. And as much as I'd like to see Exum and Favors succeed on the Jazz, I mean, especially in Dante Exum's case, probably should go somewhere else to thrive. It was kind of like with Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver really came at, you know, came into himself when he went to Atlanta and became one of the, the best shooters of the modern era and potentially of all time. And but he was really limited in Utah because Jerry Sloan just, you know, was really old school, not to taking tons of threes. And Atlanta kind of accepted that modern role. I mean, Paul Millsap, when he went to Atlanta, started taking a bunch of threes, really expanded his game. So and it's kind of like when the Jazz brings somebody in, the Jazz brought in Jay Crowder and Jay Crowder was able to expand his game and his role and really help the Jazz. And there's probably a couple more examples of that. Um, that I can't think of off the top of my head, but sometimes you just need a new team, a new situation, and it's a better fit somewhere else. You know, players have left the Jazz and fit better, and players have come to the Jazz and fit a lot better. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, and it's a little, it's like a kind of weird because the Jazz are so good at developing players that, um, you know, Dante has not been developing. More, I mean, most of that is obviously because he keeps getting injured, and there's really nothing you can do about that, but... Um, I just know that if, if Dante were to leave at whatever team he goes to, 
man, is he going to be a problem for us if he's <laughs> he's going to stay healthy on another team and he's just going to like light up the scoreboard suddenly and then every time he plays the Jazz, we're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, he's going to leave and he's going to have like four straight seasons of 82 games and like 15 to 20 points a game and six right. assists. He'll suddenly develop a three-point shot, start shooting 38% from three. Yeah, that's that sounds yeah. about right. I'll go to the Lakers or something. I might puke. Oh. I don't know. I if want I to. That'd be yeah, really I want hard. to keep liking Dante. I don't want to dislike Dante. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like when LeBron James went to the Lakers. I still kind of. Well, I would root for LeBron James over the Warriors. That's. I don't know if that counts as liking LeBron James. And I liked that he led Cleveland to a championship. But when he went to the Lakers, it was like, yeah, I'm done with that. Mm. I'm not rooting for him anymore. Right. And uh yeah, now I now I can gleefully dance on the warrior the the Lakers grave as they spiral out of out of control this season. But yeah, if, if Dante went to the Lakers, I I don't know if I could handle that. Cuz he's a guy I like to root for no matter where he ends up. You know, even if Ricky Rubio, Derek Favors or you know whatever, like pretty much every player on this Jazz team right now, I think if they went somewhere else, I would definitely keep rooting for them. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like I still root for Alec Burks. I, I think I've already forgotten where he's at. Is he on the Kings now? I don't, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think yeah he, he went to Sacramento. Yeah, I think I mentioned that he was wearing uh, Tyreek Evans yeah. old number twelve or something yeah. like that. And then Rodney Hood, I, where did he? Portland. Get? He's on, uh, yeah, Portland. Yeah, so, I'm not doing a good job keeping tabs on him, but I'd still root for him because. I liked both those players. For sure. But yeah, pretty pretty much everybody on this team, you know, from Donovan Mitchell to Kyle Korver, Rudy Gobert, it would hurt to see them on other teams, but I'd still root yeah. for them. Although I never want to see Joe Ingles on another team. Yeah, because we get we get to enjoy um, we get to enjoy Joe Ingles for what he is, and yeah, I, I think it was even. Uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? He does his TNT broadcasts every now and then. Um, how did I forget his name? Played for the Pacers forever. Yes. Reggie Miller? Reggie Miller said it best. He's like, I would have loved to play with him, but never against him. Yeah, that, that's kind of the way it is. He's the player that you love to have on your team, but you will hate his guts <laughs> if he's on the yeah. other team. And, yeah. That's why I just... Nobody, nobody else can have Joe Ingles. Just nope, nope, and yeah. Bueno. Well, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we'll get rid of him. He'll retire here. I really hope so. <laughs> you can overpay him for one or two years just to keep him around, you know, because in like three or four years he'll have, he'll be on his last legs. Well, I don't know. He might be one of those guys that can survive because he's not an athleticism-based guy. He's a, you know kind of what Vince Carter is now. Right. Where Vince Carter doesn't have any of his athleticism, but he's still a good player. I don't player. know, man. Have you seen Vince move? <laughs> he's, he's, he, he, he's still got a bit of bounce up it. there. He, he can do it. But he's he's not jumping over anybody. He's not jumping over whoever that was. It was some French dude he jumped over. I don't know. It was, it was in the Olympics way back. You know, oh. When Vince Carter was probably like 22 or something. And he jumped straight over a guy who's like seven one, seven two, <laughs> dunked it. It's like one of his most famous clips outside of him 
you know, the dunk contest that he won back in, I forget when he won the dunk contest, but, you know, him and even Richard Jefferson had some bounce in his old age when he was with the Jazz. Threw down a few hammers. Yeah. Although Joe Ingles, though, that dunk life. (laughs) I think he had one the other day, a nice little pound cake. (laughs) Just threw it down. He did, yeah. He got... He got like a foot off the ground. <laughs> it helps being six foot eight. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier to dunk it. If you're six foot eight and you can't dunk it, that's that's yeah. a little depressing. Yeah, I remember asking my dad. I think I was watching a game way back when, and Matt Harpering was still playing, and uh, he got the ball. I think it was on a fast break or something. And I asked why he didn't dunk it, and it was like, well, he's old and he's got bad knees. And it's like Matt Harpering was like in that. Six seven six eight range, I think. I think he was that tall. Yeah. I don't actually know how tall he was. I don't know. I'm going to have to look this up. Mad Harpering. 6-7 is the, uh, what Wikipedia says, so in that <laughs> range. Anyway, um, I think that's just about all we got for today. There's a lot of depressing stuff, I know. But the Jazz are on a four-game win streak and I think are just starting to play. Yeah, we're about... We're recording this on Wednesday in about now-ish. It's supposed to start 5.30 Mountain Yeah, time. we're about seven minutes from tip-off. Yeah, because they always start late yep. and whatnot. Well, they're playing the Knicks. They should beat them. Should being the key word. Uh, yeah, uh, yep. Should. That's the thing is like this time of the year, it's just like, you know, all the lottery teams, they just all of a sudden they come to play. I don't know what it is. They just play spoiler, I guess. I don't really know. But yeah, I mean, uh, Emmanuel Moutier will probably go for 38 points tonight and uh, just go insane or Noah Von Ley or whoever. Well, not if Donovan Mitchell has a crazy night. Yeah. Did he have a good night against the Knicks? Wasn't one of his really good games against the Knicks? I don't know, but, I mean, superstars or all-stars in general usually play well in Madison Square Garden, so. Yeah. Yeah, that will be really nice. So, we'll see if the Jazz get the win. Pretty much everybody uh, who's usually healthy is healthy for this game. Don Texum, obviously, is out there. But Derek Favors is playing. At least that's what I heard, even though he was, I think he was probable or doubtful after leaving the Washington game, but since I think it's been a couple of days, uh, he's ready to go. Hammy's not bothering him today. So hopefully we don't have another time where the recording curses the team and they end up losing. Well. Like, Like last time with the Pelicans. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that'll be it. Again, there's not going to be a podcast this upcoming Sunday. We might, depending on, again, whether or not Utah State wins, we might end up recording like that Tuesday or again on Wednesday. So look for it. Hopefully we don't have too many more of these breaks. And hopefully the Jazz keep winning because they're on one of those win streaks now. And they need it because they're in seventh now in the West. And, I don't know, seventh... Seventh might be where you want to be if you're facing Denver in the first round. Cause we discussed this earlier that may be the best playoff match. Sure, but my goodness. I mean, I knew that uh, 
I knew that the Western Conference would come down to the wire going all the way to the playoffs, but my goodness. I mean, San Antonio's won nine in a row. Yeah, it's just super I mean, that's just, Popovich is so good, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he's done it with uh, DeMar DeRozan and the, the glorious LaMarcus Aldridge. He always figures it out, man. It's, it's Greg Popovich. He's one of the best coaches we've ever had. Watch, he'll draft some superstar this next year, and they'll go on another dynasty. Chip. Just like at 25 or wherever they end up, he'll draft some guy, and it'll be the next Kawhi Leonard or Giannis or LeBron or whatever. Something like that. Justin. Something Chip. insane. But anyway, we will talk to you hopefully this upcoming week uh, at some point. TBD, to be determined. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody.